This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Chuck Ford and Relate Church in Byron, Mississippi. For more information, please visit RelateChurch.com. All right, everybody, welcome to part four of our series, I Am. We're talking about Jesus in his own words, what he said. And so we, we're going through the book of John, and well, not the book of John, the gospel of John. And Jesus made seven I Am statements in the gospel of John. And so we're taking five of, five of those, and this will be the fourth one. And we're taking five of those, and we're just kind of doing a deep dive on it. So, so, so far... We've talked about this, that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And uh, he, he, said, he, he always said who he was, and then he gave us an action point. You know, what we needed to do. He said, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me will never hunger. So uh, if you want to enjoy the bread of life, if you want to enjoy Jesus, you got to come to Jesus, right? And then he said, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. That's great. But you're not going to participate in that light. You're not going to have that light unless you follow him. He says, he who follows me will never walk in darkness. And then last week, we, he said this. He said, I am the good shepherd. How many of you glad that Jesus is the good shepherd? And he said, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And then he begins to talk about how he leads the sheep. And we looked at a number of scriptures that he leads us in the paths of righteousness or in right paths. He leads us along the best path for our life. And we talked about the, the benefit of the good shepherd in our life. And today we want to move on to the fourth. And I, man, this is, this is so rich and, and you're going to enjoy this so much. But Jesus said this in John the 15th chapter in verses 1 and 2 and then verse 5. He says, I am the true vine. Everybody say that with me. Say, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. We're going to get to that in a minute. Man, that verse used to petrify me. That you, it used to bother me so bad. Anybody else in here ever have a verse that bothers them in the Bible? And, and just, oh, and that verse used to bother me. He says, he says, he, any branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. Verse 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And so just real quick, just kind of the obvious here, but I want us to go over it. If you're taking notes, just write this down. Jesus is the vine. He is the vine. And, you know, a lot of times we think of the vine being the scraggly part of whatever, the, uh, the scraggly part that just kind of, kind of all out of control. When I think of a vine, I think about, you know, vines that run along the ground. And, but that's not what, that's not really, that's not what he, Jesus referring to. The vine, when it comes to vineyards, is a, uh, a stump coming out of the ground. It's about 36 to 40 inches high, about waist high. And they would keep the vine at that point. And we would call it a stump, really, the, or the trunk. And that's what we would call it, the, the trunk. But it's about 36 inches high. And so it says that Jesus is the vine. He says, I am the vine. And so he's the trunk. He's, he's the life source, right? And, and so he's the vine. And then uh, a lot of times we think of the vine as that, that part of the plant that just kind of, it, it just sprawls out along the trellis or whatever, and it's just kind of, everywhere and uh, but that's not Jesus he he is the vine and the father is the vine dresser the vine dresser 
would be the owner of the vineyard or the person who is hired to oversee the production of the vineyard. And so he said, my father is the vine dresser. And then not just to state the obvious, but then that I or you and I are the branches, right? We are the branches. And I know that's obvious from the scripture. So uh, you and I are the fruit bearing portion of the plant, right? Jesus is the trunk, the Father is the vine dresser, and then you and I are to be the fruit-bearing portion or part of the plant. And, you know, it's, it's amazing to me, and I want to get into this in a little bit of detail, but what Jesus is saying here, he is really giving us, in no uncertain terms, our destiny, our future, our purpose for the future, and it is that we are to be fruit bearers. We are to bear fruit in our life. In this, in this little slot of time that we have on the earth, we are to bear fruit. Now, I think it's really interesting. Jesus, he says this, I am the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And I think it's so important that sometimes instead of just reading through the Word of God really fast, that we take time and, and we really set the Scriptures down in its proper context, that we look at the Scriptures in the light of the environment in which they were spoken. And so that's what I want us to do just for a few minutes, just to lay the, the groundwork for the rest of this message. And so... This message or this teaching that Jesus gives, and I don't know, a lot of times I read the Word and I just see Jesus as the teacher or Jesus as the preacher, and he's out on the hillside and he's proclaiming the Word, and man, he's just going for it, and, and there's thousands of people around, and, and he's just proclaiming the Word. But that, this is not the setting of this Scripture. This setting of this Scripture happened on a Thursday night. It was the... And, and as he's going through this with his disciples, it's a very intimate setting. It's just he and his 12 disciples there, so it's a, a very intimate setting. It begins in John chapter 13 where Jesus, he's, he's with his disciples in this up, upper room, and, and they're enjoying supper, and they had just finished eating, and I'm sure, I mean, there's still the smell of freshly baked bread, and there's still the smell of this roasted lamb that's still in the air, and, and they're all full and happy and laying back and against pillows, and the glow of the candles fill the room, and then Jesus all of a sudden, it says this in John, well, I'll just turn there so we can read it, it's just a page back. It says this, and supper being ended, and supper being ended, and the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So, uh, so they were, this was a supper, this was a, a dinner, and then from chapter 13 all the way to chapter 18, this is just an after-dinner discussion that Jesus is having with his disciples. So something just very intimate, just 12 people there that, that he's talking to. And, and so what's interesting is from the time Jesus begins talking to them after supper, in less than 24 hours, he will have been executed. In less than 24 hours, he would have gone to the cross and he would have died. Now, I don't know, you know, I just think about, uh, I've read, I read some books and biographies of people who had famous last words, and how many of you know when somebody knows that they're dying and, and they want to make sure that their family members or their closest people, they want to communicate the, the most important things right before they go. I mean, 
wouldn't you imagine? And, and if, if you had any sense, you would kind of lean in real close and, and you would want to catch every word that they're saying because these are precious words. These are things that are, I mean, they are coming from the heart. There's no holding back. There's no reservation. I mean, we're, I, they're going to give you their heart as best they can. They're going to give you the most important thing that they can leave with you. And that's what Jesus is doing in this setting. As I said, 24 hours, and, and he's going to have already gone to the cross and died. And so this is the setting. This is the last time that they're ever going to eat a meal with Jesus until they eat it anew in the kingdom of God. This is the last one. And so this is the Thursday before Passover. And anticipation was already growing. I mean, the Jewish people knew that that Jesus, that the Messiah would reveal himself on Passover. They didn't know which one, but they kind of had a feeling this one was probably it. I mean, things were stirring. The disciples thought it for sure that, hey, you know, uh, this time, in just a few days, Jesus is going to be crowned king. And, man, we're so looking forward to it. And they're so looking forward to it. They're already jockeying for position. Who's going to have a seat on his right hand? And who's going to have a seat on his left hand? And, and so they start doing this. And, and after supper, after supper was ended, John chapter 13, after supper was ended, Jesus got up from his pillow or wherever he was sitting or laying back on, and, and he took a towel and he, he girt his waist with it, and he began to wash his disciples' feet. And I mean, they were so perplexed about this. They were so, they were so taken back because, I mean, here they are. They're standing, they're staring at someone that they're thinking, you know, in just a couple of days here, he's going to be king. But he's doing the, the work of a, of a servant boy in the house. He is washing our feet. And they didn't understand that. They, didn't, they, they couldn't reason that. And then Jesus, he, he continued talking. And he said, hey, in just a little while, you're not going to see me anymore. And, I mean, all their hopes are starting to, I mean, just to be thrown away. You're not going to see me. I'm going to leave you, but I'm going to send somebody back to replace me. They're thinking, no, 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 you're supposed to be, you're supposed to be the king. And we've been with you for three years, and we're supposed to be the ones around your court. And what are you talking about? You're not going to be here anymore. And so Jesus is just laying it out. And so this is the setting that Jesus is talking in, just a very intimate setting. And the Word of God tells us in John chapter 14, verse 31, because he's talking to him about the Holy Spirit, and he says in verse 31, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandments, so I do, arise, let us go from here. So What's that mean? Well, they're, they're in the house. They're in that upper room. They're sitting in that room. He's talking to them. He's washed their feet. He's talked to them about the Holy Spirit. He's talked to them about, you know, you're, in my Father's house are many mansions. He's talking to them about, I'm gonna, don't worry, I'm going to leave you with my peace. And after he gets through communicating all that, he says, all right, now get up from here and let's go. And so Jesus begins to take them. And they begin to walk on a, on a journey toward the Kidron Valley. They, they begin to walk on a journey and walk into the, the Garden of Gethsemane. They begin to walk to the very place that Jesus would be betrayed into the hands of the enemies and be, and be beaten and be crucified and die in my and your place. And so he said, get up, let's go from here. 
And as they were walking, you know, I believe that everything Jesus did, he did it with very, a very strategic mind. He didn't just kind of pull illustrations out of the air and pull examples out of the air. Say, you know what? I think I'll talk about grapes today. I think I'm going to talk about some grapes. No, Jesus didn't do that. He was very strategic. And so, I mean, I can, only, I, I can just see it because, you know, grape vineyards were very big in that area. And so he said, let's get up and go from here. And so they left and they were he heading towards the Kidron Valley. And, you know, I would imagine that they walked right through someone's vineyard. And as they walked through the vineyard, Jesus stopped and he said, I want to talk to you about grapes. <laughs> and so he said, I am the true vine. And I can just imagine that Jesus is standing there and maybe he's holding some branches in his hand and, and, and the branches have leaves on them. And, and he said, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. You're the branches. And he's talking to them about this. And, and man, what a time to be talking about grapes when you're about to die. What a time to be talking about, you know, vines and, and trunks when you're about to die. What a time to be talking about someone else's vineyard when you're about to die. But Jesus was very strategic. And I, and I believe this within no uncertain terms that Jesus brought out this teaching at this moment because he knew that he's about to go away and he wanted to leave them with the most important thing that from here on out for the rest of your life, it is the plan of God. It is the will of God that you bear fruit and that your fruit would glorify your Father in heaven. And so he begins to talk to him about this. And then, uh, so let me just, you know, what, what is fruit? Because, you know, I, I think fruit, well, we need to get people saved. Well, that would be fruit, I think. But he's not just talking about evangelism here. Look, the fruit that he is referring to, and I'll just say it like this, fruit represents good works. Fruit is good works. As a matter of fact, you can't separate fruit from good works in the Word of God. For instance, in Titus 3.14, it says, And let our people also learn to maintain good works to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. So good works and fruitfulness go together. How many of you believe that we ought to do good works? Our good, now, your good works won't save you. They won't save you. You can't get into heaven because of good works, but after you're saved, there ought to be some good works. And so good works are, 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 are any thought, any attitude, any action, any thought, any attitude, any action that would bring glory to God. God wants you and I to be fruitful. He wants our thoughts to be fruitful. He wants our attitudes to be fruitful. He wants our actions to be fruitful. And let me just say it like this. You and I have opportunity every day to glorify God in every circumstance in our life with our thoughts, with our actions, and with our, our attitudes. We have an opportunity to glorify God. Well, do you believe that? That we have an opportunity to glorify him. And when we glorify him, he said that's fruit. And God's called us to bear fruit. Okay, so Jesus told his disciples, he said, I've, I've chose you, I've appointed you to go and bear much fruit. God wants my life to be fruitful. God wants your life to be fruitful. He doesn't want us to be unproductive. He wants us to be very productive for the kingdom of God in order for us to bring glory to God. So, I want to give you a couple, about two secrets about the vine. 
two secrets about the vine. This is going to bless you. And as I said, there's a, there's a verse in here that's concerned me, that's bothered me. And uh, quite frankly, you know, at times it kind of scared me. How many of you ever felt like in your life that you've been more productive or fruitful than at other times? How many, how many of you, you, know, you can go a week or two and say, man, I don't know if I'm being productive at all. And so I've always read this verse in John chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. He's, Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. That verse ever bothered you before? If I don't bear fruit, I'm going to get taken away. And I've always read that, that if I'm not fruitful in my life, I'm getting cut off. Because if you read on down, he talks about they take them and they, they gather them up and they throw them into the fire. And man, I just kind of put those two things together. And if, I don't, if I'm not fruitful in my life, I'm going to get cut off. I'm going to be thrown into the fire. I'm going to lose my salvation. God's not going to love me anymore. But that's not what he said. Notice what he says. Every branch, now get this, get this phrase, in me. In me. You know, this phrase is used in different ways all through the scriptures. Paul, he used this phrase, he said, in Christ, in him, in whom. And there's some 140 scriptures in, in Paul's letters that talks about who we are in Christ, what we have in Christ, what we can do through Christ. And he, he sees the relationship between a believer in Christ as being one. We are grafted in to that vine. And so when he says, any branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. He didn't say, any branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he cuts off. He takes it away. And actually, this is not a very good translation takes away is not a good translation i was reading as i was i was i was studying this and so i thought i'd read and try to get some insight on exactly what jesus was saying and i came across uh an article where some theologians they said well probably a good place to start to find out what jesus was saying go ask an owner of a vineyard someone who has spent their life in a vineyard if they have any insight of what jesus could mean so uh, in, this, in this article I was reading, they, these people, they went to this owner of a vineyard out in California said, hey, any idea what this could mean? And uh, he goes, yeah, I know exactly what that means. And so he said, uh, a vine or a grape plant, it has a tendency, new growth has a tendency to grow downward. And it grows downward and then the, the branches or what we would refer to as the vines run across the ground. And he said those, the leaves, they get, they get coated with dirt or dust or dirt. Or, and then when it rains, they become muddy and they, be, they mildew. And so the whole branch gets diseased and becomes unproductive. He says, so what we do, he said, what we do in the vineyard, we always carry a bucket of water with us. And so when we come across a branch that's running along the ground, we always... We, we lift it up, and we take some water, and we pour water and wash the leaves off, and then we attach the, the branch to the trellis, and before long, it's thriving, and it becomes, it becomes productive. So actually, the correct translation of this phrase, he takes away, is 
lifts up. And you can see this same Greek word used in other instances throughout the New Testament. So if you read it like this, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, what's he do? He lifts it up. He doesn't take it away. You see, God's not mad at you because you're not producing fruit. What's he going to do if you're not producing fruit? He doesn't cut you off. What does he do? He lifts you up. He lifts you up. Verse 3 says this. He says, you're already clean through the word I've spoken to you. So get this, clean and lifts up. So what does he do when, when our life becomes unprodu- unproductive? What does God do? He's not cutting us off. He's not cutting us off. He, it's not that he doesn't love you anymore. He comes along and he lifts you up and he washes you with the water of God, his word, the washing of the water of the word of God. He washes you. He cleanses you. He puts you up on the trellis so the oxygen and the sunlight can get to you and so you can become productive again. Isn't that good that God loves you, that he's going to lift you up? Lifting up sounds a lot better than cutting off or taking away. We see this all through the word of God that, you know, if you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? Let me help you. He's going, if you humble yourself, he's going to lift you up. God's interested in lifting you up. He's not interested in cutting you off. As a matter of fact, they, they asked him, he said, so if, if, a, if a branch is laying in the dirt and it becomes dirty, do y'all, what do you do? You just cut it off? He said, we would never cut a branch off. He said, our business is to grow grapes. Our business is to harvest grape. To cu- cut a branch off, we would be cutting off our profit. He said, we would never cut a branch off. We do everything in our power to get that branch back to health because that's where the productivity comes from, is from the branch. God won't cut you off. Why? Because that's where his productivity comes from. Jesus is the vine. You and I are the are the fruit-bearing portion of this whole equation. He wants you and I to bear fruit. So that's secret number one. Everybody say, he lifts us up. So, you know, sin, sin has a tendency to coat us with, well, we get coated with sin, you just, and, and you become unproductive. You can become unproductive in your relationship with God, in, your king, in the kingdom of God. You can become unproductive. So what does God do? He, he lifts us up. He washes us with the washing of the water of the word of God, right? He, he restores us. He puts us back up on the trellis. He puts us back in fellowship. He puts us back in our place so that we can become, become productive. And then number two, number two, I think this is interesting. Jesus, he goes on to say this, he who abides... Uh, he says this, and in, chap, in verse 2, chapter 15, verse 2, he says, and every branch that bears fruit, what does he do? He prunes. He prunes that it may bear more fruit. God design on you and I is for us to be productive in the kingdom of God. He wants us to be productive. So, If you're bearing fruit, there's going to be times that God's got to come in and he's got to prune. Why? So that you can bear more fruit. So you can bear more fruit. And so they were asking this this, uh, vine dresser, this vineyard owner, about this. He goes, yeah. He said, over a year's time, these these grape plants, they they can become very dense with wood. 
It can become very dense. And so all that wood in that plant, it can block the sun from getting, you know, penetrating to the fruit, the, the place where the fruit is formed. He says, so we have to come in there every year and we have to thin it out. We've got to thin that plant out because the secret to having more is to have less is to have less. So we have to go in and we have to prune. We've got to cut some of that wood away in order for that plant to thrive. He said, now if we just left it alone, we would have a lot of green leaves the next season. He said, but you, you, you got to choose one or the other. You can either have a lot of green leaves or you can have a lot of big grapes, but you can't have both. And so we got, you got to come in and got to cut some of that, that wood away. You got to prune it out. Anybody ever prune anything before? You know, I was pruning my crepe myrtles the other day. And after I did it, I found out that, that I, I wasn't pruning my crepe myrtles. I was committing crepe murder. I mean, I was, <laughs> I didn't do it exactly right. I hope them things do something this year. But man, it, you know, it's probably not a good idea to just take a chainsaw to stuff and, uh, and to do your pruning with. But anyway, uh, it, you know, you've, you've pruned flowers or rose bushes or something, so what are you doing? You're doing stuff to promote new growth. Why? Because you want more flowers, you want more, you want more buds, you, you want more things. And, so, and it's the same with God. It's not his plan that you just bear a little fruit. It's his plan that you bear much fruit. That you become productive in the kingdom of God. There's nothing else going in your life. It's more important than the kingdom of God. There's nothing, there's nothing more satisfying, there's nothing more gratifying than the kingdom of God. There's nothing that's going to last longer than the kingdom of God. You realize this? Everything that you see, everything that you see is perishing. Everything that you see, the chairs that you're sitting on, the floor that you're standing on, the car that you drive, the house that you live in, the job that you're working is not going to be forever. The country that you live in is not going to be forever. One of these days, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. Everything is not going to stay the same, but there's one thing that will endure forever, and that's the kingdom of God. And for you and I to labor and invest our time and our effort into the kingdom of God is worthwhile, and God wants us to be productive. You're not going to be awarded according to grace. You're going to be awarded according to works. Thank you for all that enthusiasm. You're going to be saved. You're saved by grace, but you're rewarded according to your works. You're not going to be rewarded just because, oh, I believe in Jesus. And I gave you my whole heart and my whole life. No, you're not going to be rewarded for that. You're going to get to heaven because of that. But you're not going to be rewarded because you're rewarded according to your works. Amen. So he says that, that, number one, he lifts us up. Number two, he prunes us. He prunes us. And so pruning is, is not a bad thing. It can be a painful thing. But it's not a bad thing. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the, the, the plants thriving. It's got branches. It's got leaves that's going to come off of it. So it's, it's not like it, there's anything wrong with it. Just the plant's too dense. You realize that you can become too dense in your life. You can have too much going in your life. I'm always amazed at people who, you know, they, they, they can't serve in church once a week because 
they're too busy. They're too busy to do something for God. I'm, I'm not meddling, am I? But they got all this time to watch TV or... I'm not going to start naming things because y'all think I'm talking about you, so just keep it right there. Yep, y'all, y'all figure it out, okay? Figure it out. But, but what are we busy doing? Are we, are we busy doing something that's going to last forever? And so if we're too busy... We don't get too busy because we're obeying God. We get too busy because we add a lot of stuff to ourselves, And it might be legitimate things. It might be things that are okay. It may be things that's not wrong to do it. So on, on these crepe myrtles, I read that they, you know, these crepe myrtles, they can sprout suckers. And there's these little branches that come off the side of the tree, and, and, and they're called suckers. And all they do is they suck the life out of that trunk that should be going to new growth, you know, where it's supposed to grow. And so you got to come in and you got to cut the suckers off. And there's things in your life that suck your potential. It's things in your life that suck your attention, that suck your ability. And you're, 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 we're putting it into other places where it should be going to the place that's going to make you the most productive for the kingdom of God. So you got to cut the suckers off. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. He said, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. How many of, there's a lot of things that you can do and there's nothing wrong with it, but they're not really that helpful to you. They're not really that beneficial to you. He goes on to say, all things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. There's plenty of things in my life that if I take a close look at, I mean, they're, they're good. But how many of you know that so many times good is the enemy of great? If you want to do something great for God, you're going to have to cut away a lot of the good stuff. You know, that's kind of the way I do my sermons every week. I feel like everything that I do is good. And no, I'm just kidding. So, so it's terrible. I, I'll be honest with you. So, but you prepare my sermon, man. You know, usually I have, I have about seven to ten pages of notes. And, and so I've got to boil it down to two little pages. And so I feel like everything is good, but not everything is great. Not Everything benefits the point. Not everything supports the main thing, right? And so for you and I, we've got to go in and thin out a little bit. If you want to be productive, you've got to thin out a little bit. What's robbing your attention? What's robbing your resources? What's robbing your energy? What's robbing? What's taking away and, and doing the main thing? So said all that to say this. You know, we're... I'm, for me, well, let me, let me back up just, just a step. I, I, I read quite often stuff in leadership books, and a lot of the leadership books are they're not really church-oriented. They're more business-oriented, but great principles in there. And so I read, you know, this has been years ago, that uh, one way to really increase leadership and increase leadership around you is find somebody that can do something 80% as good as you can do it, and then let them do it. 
Or what, you know, what we do a lot of times, man, I'm going to just do it all myself. You know, because if, if I'm going to do that, I got I to explain to somebody how to do it. And then I got to show somebody how to do it. And if I'm going to do all that, I might as well just do it myself because I'm going to do it better than they're going to do it anyway. But how many of you know you, you never become more fruitful like that? Right? So, you know, find somebody that can do the jobs 80% as good as you can do it, and then let them do it. Just let them do it. And so, you know, I'm realizing that in my life, as a pastor, that there are things that I'm doing I don't need to do. There's things in my life that, that I'm doing I need to let somebody else do it, and I need to do only what I can do. And there's things in your life that you need to find somebody else to do it because there's a few things in your life that only you can do. For instance, if you're a parent, you don't delegate your parenting to someone else. You, the only one that can parent your child. It's not the school's responsibility. Are you listening? <laughs> and all the teachers said, amen. <laughs> it's, a, it's not the parents' responsibility. I mean, it's not the school's responsibility. You, you're the, you're the one, you are to parent your children. When it comes to church here, you know, it's not Mr. Frank and Bridget's job to make sure your kids know everything about the Bible. We're a support to you, teaching your kids about Jesus. Wow, I just thought y'all would do it all. No, we're not supposed to do it all. You're supposed to do it. <laughs> your kids ought to see you reading the Bible. Okay, meddling now. <laughs> so, Anyway, how many of so he prunes us. So God would deal with you. And so I don't have to call things out because God's already dealing with, yeah, I probably spend too much time doing that. I probably spend a little too much time doing that. And so God, he'll begin to prune. Remember, he's working in you. He's working in you because he wants to do a greater work through you. He's working in us, both to will and do of his good pleasure. And part of that work in us is pruning. Snip. Snip, thinning us out. Why? So that we can become more productive. So he's either pruning us or he's washing us, but he's doing a work in us so that he can do a work through us. Can you say amen? amen. So, look, it's very important. Hebrews uses this phrase over and over. He, he said, today, if you'll hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. If you hear his voice. So if you're in here today and he said, well, yeah, God's kind of dealing with me about that now. He's dealing with me about this area of my life. He could be dealing with you about sin in your life. He's not mad at you because you sin. He just knows that sin's going to cause you to be unproductive. And so, and so yeah, God's dealing with me. I mean, I really need to get washed in that area of my life. Or God's dealing with me. I really need to cut some of this out of my life. And, and I, I need to devote more of my time and more of my efforts to God and the kingdom of God. 
Because that's where your productivity is going to come from. And the thing about it is, if you'll seek first the kingdom with your life, it has an overflow, it has a spillover into every area of your life. If you'll see it that God's kingdom prospers, if you'll see to it that God's kingdom produces and is productive, it'll spill over into your parenting, it'll spill over into your finances, it'll spill over into your career, it'll spill over into every area of your life. This is a spiritual principle. God wants you to be productive. He wants me to be productive. Amen. Jesus said, I am the vine, you're the branches. And it brings God much pleasure when we bear much fruit. Everybody say a whole lot of fruit. That's for my life and your life. He wants us to be fruitful. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that you're ministering to us this morning. You're speaking to us. And Lord, even this message is kind of corrective in nature. Lord, maybe you're pointing out things in our life that we need to get rid of things that we need to lay down, set aside for a time. Lord, I thank you that we'll do it and that we won't harden our hearts, but we'll be open to you in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here they've never given their whole heart and their whole life to Jesus, I ask that you would move on them, deal with them right now. Thank you for it. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're in here today and you've never given Jesus your whole heart and your whole life, but you want to do that. You're, you're, you, you just Maybe God's dealing with you about it. If he's dealing with you, it's a sure sign that he wants you to, you, make, you to make a decision. But you're in here, if you've never given him your whole heart and your whole life, but you want to this morning, I'm going to count to three, and when I do, I just want you to lift your hand. We're going to pray for you. Here we go. One, two, three, right now. Thank you, sir. I see your hand. Anyone else? I'm looking across the room. Thank you, sir. I see your hand. Awesome. Good deal. Let's all pray this prayer out loud together. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he was raised from the dead. Jesus, I ask that you come into my heart and save me. Father, I ask you that you will show me the areas in my life that I need to cut off, set aside, Get rid of completely. Thank you for dealing with me. Amen.